Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah, with TrappingToday.com, source for all things trapping, information, and education for the modern trapper. Go over there, head over to Trapping Today, and uh, sign up uh, with your email to get on the email list and get weekly updates of new posts and keep up with things. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for tuning in. You might notice my voice sounds a little different. Uh, and I haven't been podcasting very often uh, the last couple of weeks. I have the longest cold I've ever had in my life, um, going on three weeks now. So it's been a pain, total pain in the butt. And uh, I just decided to throw on the the mic and, and uh, spit out a podcast here because uh, kind of been wanting to, to get it done. So anyway, uh, if you'll forgive me, uh, we will get right into things. So I wanted to start out, uh, I wanted to give a little shout out to Meat Trapper. Uh, this guy is a trapper that has a podcast on, it's it's uh, featured on Clint Locklear's Trapping Radio. If you go to trappingradio2.com, uh, Clint has a podcast there, usually he has something up twice a week, one on trapping, one on more political type of issues. And then uh, Meat Trapper, a guy named Tim, he is uh, putting up podcasts there uh, periodically. And he also has a website, MeatTrapper.com. He's got a pretty cool thing going there. And I just listened to his most recent episode, and he covered beaver snaring in open in water and on land. So I thought it was really neat. He provided a lot of good information. And I just wanted to give a little shout-out to him to check that out. It was kind of interesting that... He put that out around the same time that I put out my podcast on under ice beaver snaring. So for folks who listen to this and listen to that, you get a broad overview of of catching a beaver in a snare. So anyway, uh, that's meattrapper.com or trappingradio2.com to listen to those podcasts. Uh, The second thing I wanted to talk about is uh, sponsor Coyote Trapping School. So this is from Chris Pope over at CoyoteTrappingSchool.com. And Chris has put together a video course on how to trap coyotes from the ground up, basically starting from scratch. So I'll tell you right off, if you're a proficient coyote trapper, this course is not for you. You don't need this course if you know how to trap coyotes. However, if you're starting from scratch and you don't have somebody to teach you how to trap coyotes or to teach you what you think is maybe the right way or or the professional way to trap coyotes or go over all the basics in detail, this is a really valuable course for that. So Chris has this, it's approximately four hours of video. I've gone through the whole thing. Um, and and uh, it's it's really interesting. It's split up into a bunch of different small, shorter, short videos, and there are nine different modules. And this starts all the way from basically sitting at a table and showing you different types of traps, and showing you the parts of a trap and how to even set a coyote trap. That's as basic as it starts out at. How to uh, dye your traps. Uh, he gives you a checklist of all the equipment that you need to start out coyote trapping and it goes over all the details and the different equipment. Then he goes over location. He'll 
show a bunch of screenshots on a computer and talk over video on how how to pick location like looking at Google Earth and things to look at there which is really neat and then he goes out on the ground and shows you different locations uh, in the field and he is in uh, the sort of the pine plantation area of Georgia so there's a lot of pine forests a lot of logging roads he takes you there and then he goes into some farm country and some open country and shows different types of location so then he starts in on showing you how to set a trap how to how to do the dirt basic dirt hole set and the flat set makes those different sets and goes through catches shows catching coyotes uh, dispatch um, how to make remake sets after the catch also shows catching di a few different animals as well and all the way to the end where he goes into uh, fur handling teaches how to skin flesh uh, and stretch and dry your fur so start to finish uh, again it's not for the advanced trapper but for the beginner trapper that really wants a resource you could th this costs a hundred bucks okay um, the course costs uh, it's $99 so it's not cheap however I think for the information you get and especially you look at we're going to talk about auction prices here in a little bit and coyotes are the one bright spot in the market right now and averaging over $50 a piece depending on where you're at uh, you know it won't it doesn't take many coyotes to uh, to pay for the cost of that course you could buy other uh, videos um, to to get started coyote trapping. There's a few of them that are available, maybe 30 bucks, 30, 40 bucks a piece. But you may have to buy several of those videos and may not be necessarily uh, well educated on the whole thing from start to finish, uh, like Chris goes through. I think Chris is relatively young and he is. Uh, I think he's new enough to trapping that he understands what a beginner trapper needs to know. And a lot of, not to say that more experienced trappers don't do that, but there are a lot of times when a guy that's caught hundreds and hundreds of coyotes uh, is explaining how to set a trap or how to start out coyote trapping, they oftentimes tend to overlook certain things. They just automatically assume that you know and so I think it's really refreshing to see uh, Chris go over a lot of things as like oh yeah this is like very basic I wouldn't have even thought to tell somebody this um, so it, it's really it's really cool and I think it's a valuable resource for the beginning trapper now what Chris has done is is uh, he's offered a very significant discount to guys that read uh, Trapping Today, guys that listen to this podcast, um, he's giving you 20% off of this course. So if you go to coyotetrappingschool.com slash trappingtoday, um, you'll, you'll go right to a page and he'll already have the, the offer up for you. It's going to be 20% off. So it's going to be uh, it's gonna be like 80 bucks to, to take this, this course. And for that, you get access to all the videos and stuff for a full year so it's a one-year access for regular price $99 uh, 20% off with this code and if you don't go to that trapping today page if you're just on coyote trapping school and you go to sign up 
um, enter there's there should be a place for an offer code and if you enter the code today t-o-d-a-y uh, you're gonna get that 20% off so I hope uh, if some of you check that out if if you're looking to learn how to trap coyotes uh, I think that'll be a valuable resource for you coyotetrappingschool.com slash trapping today alright so um, in other news let's get into uh, a fur price update so there have been a few small state auctions going on the last couple weeks but nothing very big I I threw a few auction results up on the website uh, but there was a really big auction in Colorado so the Colorado Trappers and Predator Hunters Association has this annual auction and it is very well attended there's a lot of fur and people ship fur from all over the country to this sale. The unique part about this sale is it focuses on high value fur, primarily bobcats and coyotes. So there's a lot there's there's every item of fur available there, but the buyers go for the bobcats and coyotes there. So they've gotten some really high prices the last few years for those items. Um, so, anyway, I just want to go over some of the results. We, we will start with coyotes because those are one of the few bright spots in this market. And the that Colorado sale that was held this week, they sold 4,216 coyotes. Uh, that's 553 different lots of coyotes. That is a lot of fur. Um, they... Range they range widely from a low of five bucks to a high of 145 bucks, and the average of all those 4,000 coyotes was 52 dollars and 70 cents. So uh, that really is pretty good considering they had coyotes from all over the country, and they actually broke that out from different states that those coyotes came from just to give trappers an, a better idea of of how the averages were calculated. And uh, the Colorado Coyotes, that was the bulk of what was there, averaged $59. And uh, the other thing to remember is this is, uh, in Colorado, those boys aren't catching a lot of their coyotes, they're shooting them. Uh, because co foothold trapping is essentially banned in Colorado, unfortunately. So it's been that way for a long time. And uh, that's why a lot of us fear that happening in other states. But anyway... So, so I'm assuming uh, that a lot of those pelts probably had bullet holes in them. Now, the coyotes that came down from Montana, which I assume were mostly trapped, averaged $70.39. So that's really good. Um, there were uh, some other states, uh, a little outlier, there were five from New York that averaged 72. Those were probably picked out of a lot. Um, some really special ones but not an average what you'd typically see in New York Nevada $47 New Mexico 49 uh, Nebraska $30.50 so a little lower quality there North Dakota average $40 there are uh, there are only two so that does not really an average uh, as for a comparison Montana there were 739 that went down uh, Let's see, there were some that went over from Michigan, and they didn't do well. So those, again, we're looking at um, a very, very narrow market for coyotes this year. And it's actually been this way for the last couple of years. 
the market is for trim on trim on hoods that's going on the hoods of these winter parkas uh, a lot of its Canada Goose companies making these parkas that are really popular now they need extremely thick under fur in in all of these pelts and the reason for that is uh, so so in a fur pelt obviously you have your your under fur which is that thick stuff that grows in the smaller fur that grows in underneath the outer fur which is the guard hairs so the guard hairs are kind of like what you what a coyote will have throughout the year uh, even in summer those long coarse hairs that essentially protect the animal's body um, but the under fur comes in 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 the late fall early winter when the first starts to prime up it's that under fur that's growing in and thickening uh, obviously to uh, provide a warmer coat for the winter time the reason that that under fur is so important for these uh, the, the trim on these parkas is the the thick under fur causes the guard hairs to stick up and stick out and just makes for a better you know that that parka that um, the way that lays around the hood and the way it looks and the way fash for it to look fashionable and for it to puff out like it's supposed to uh, it's got to have thick under fur so a lot of early caught coyotes and a lot of coyotes from other parts of the country that don't get that thick were very heavily downgraded and that's why these uh, there were 129 Michigan coyotes they only average eleven dollars and fifty cents. There are no buyers looking for for that product. They wanted the thick fur. Kansas forty six dollars and eighty three cents. Again, Indiana nineteen dollars and eighty three cents. So so very high variability there. Illinois thirty four. Um, Idaho forty eight forty nine. So those are coyotes. Um, just gives you an idea that the for the really high quality animals. The market is strong. Uh, for the rest, it's it's been pretty tough, and it's going to continue to be tough. Uh, they did sell other items. They sold uh, 73 badgers that averaged $19 a piece. Uh, beaver, there were... Um, uh, sorry, they didn't sell 73. There were 73 lots. Uh, they sold 133 badgers. Beaver, they sold 231 beaver, and is the same price as we've been seeing all all winter, all fall, all winter, $13.22. So we've been <clears throat> between $12 and $14 for beavers, and I don't see that changing, unfortunately. Um, let's see. Uh, the mink, there were only 17 mink. They went for 6 bucks. 487 muskrats only averaged $1.57. So that was pretty discouraging to me. And um, I'm, I'm guessing there just wasn't the right number of buyers and the right type of buyers there that were looking for rats um, otters again this was this was a few small markets not a lot of bulk fur buyers here there were a lot of crafters uh, otters went for 38 bucks those are usually good for crafters martin uh, 31 raccoon they're over 600 coons they averaged six dollars and eighty cents not much different than all the other auctions Again, a crafter market is good for skunks. Skunks averaged over 10. <clears throat> and bobcats. So, it, basically the same thing that's happening with coyotes is happening with bobcats. We're noticing uh, that gap between the low quality fur and the high quality fur is 
widening and widening and widening. And uh, the low quality, the eastern bobcats that uh, don't have a lot of that thick fur combined with the clear bellies, wide clear bellies with well-defined spots. Um, the fur that doesn't have that doesn't do well. So there were only 33 eastern bobcats that came to the sale, and they averaged 33 bucks. Um, not very good. Now the western bobcats, that high-quality cat, there were 116 of them. But back, uh, you know, for several years there, the past few years, those western cats, you know, there's a variety. There, There is a, a, a bit of a, a range in quality from of those cats. And even among the cats that are caught in the same area. But the market has been so strong that I think a lot of the buyers have overlooked a few uh, things. And the lower, the cats that were kind of on the lower end of those good cats, uh, they weren't downgraded a whole lot. Um, now we're in a market where buyers can get a little more picky. And they want to get the best of the best. So you still had a high in Western cats. There were... Uh, there were 116 of them, but you still had a high of $720. So that's, again, that really strong bobcat market, those $700 cats. Um, we used to see averages of 300 to 400 uh, for several years. These averaged $189.66. So we're down below 200 bucks for our bobcat average, um, and that was... Uh, primarily uh, a result of buyers being a little pickier and only paying that good money for the highest of the quality cats. Uh, fox, uh, so gray fox. People keep asking me about gray fox. Um, I I don't know much about them because we don't have them here. So um, and there are a lot of places that don't have them. Uh, they averaged here thirteen dollars and sixty six cents, and that's what I keep telling people uh, ten to fifteen bucks because uh, I, I don't know much about them, but. For the last three, four years, that's what they've been selling for. And Red Fox, uh, $15.24 at this auction. Um, there are a few other items, but that's pretty much the bulk of, uh, of what was sold in that Colorado sale. Again, no real surprises. Not a lot of movement in this fur market right now. So um, there, were, there have been a few rumblings. You, know, you always hear rumors of what's going to happen to the fur market. And uh, the last, there's been some auctions over overseas. The Russians had uh, had an auction uh, for Sable, which is their version of Martin. Um, prices were down about 10%. And the uh, there was a Copenhagen sale, I believe. Or they, I think that's a ranch mink sale. I don't know a lot about it, but. Uh, they those prices were up a little bit, so uh, it was kind of all over the map. I I honestly don't think there's there's going to be a lot of changes between now and the end of this selling season in in May or even into July, uh, unless the the U.S. dollar continues to weaken, uh, unless there's some some big changes uh, on on oil prices and so on. Uh, I don't see a lot of huge changes now could be wrong there could this the stock market's been dropping significantly the past few days uh, that could cause things to change a little bit not sure so uh, just keep your eyes open keep your um, just keep keep uh, paying attention and and uh, I'll try to help keep you up to date with fur prices
Now, considering that you got the fur price update, and let's say you you got Western coyotes, you got Western cats, uh, you ought to send them to an auction, I I think, or or find a a local buyer. There's plenty of demand. The prices are good for those items. Now, if you've got any of these other fur items uh, and you're starting to wonder, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with this fur. How am I going to market it? Uh, I don't want to risk getting taking getting a dollar eighty nine for my muskrats necessarily. So uh, you're thinking about some of those things. What do you do? Um, you want to send it out to get tanned. Where do you send that fur to get tanned? And what do you do with it after you get it tanned? Do you sell it on eBay? You sell it on Facebook? Uh, you open up a shop in Etsy? You sell it to your friends? Do you uh, take it to the local country store and see if they can you can consign fur pelts there, tanned pelts? Uh, what's it going to cost you to tan it? What's it going to cost you to sell it? What are you going to get? You're going to break even? You're going to make money? Maybe you want to have some fur garments made out. Maybe you want to make some hats or gloves out of muskrat or beaver pelts. Um, perhaps you you want to send that somewhere to get those items made and then sell them yourself. There's a lot of different options uh, in a low fur market uh, to try try and make some money. Now, it's not uh, as easy as it sounds, and you're not going to get rich. Uh, if you were, if it was easy and you're going to get rich, it would already most of the trappers in the country be doing it and this market is very easily flooded because everybody else is thinking the same way I need to get this tanned the only one that's doing good in a low fur market is these small tanneries because trappers are sending all their fur there um, however you need to think about those things because it, it's very important to make those decisions and one right or wrong decision can make a big uh, difference in your bottom line in, in uh in seasons like this and in, in, in a fur market like this. So for just a few dollars I have put together a book that will help you make these fur marketing decisions. It's called Fur Profit, A Trapper's Guide to the Modern Fur Market. Uh, the book is available right now on trappingtoday.com slash fur profit uh, or just go over to Trapping Today and, and as you scroll down you'll see the big picture of the book with my name on it. Uh, that you can buy it right now as an ebook. It's uh, basically just a PDF download. So you download it. It's it's gonna cost you five dollars. It is not gonna break the bank. Even at a dollar eighty muskrats, you sell uh, you sell three muskrats and you've paid for the the book. <laughs> so um, now PDFs are a pain in the butt. I know uh, sometimes because you you know you're going to scroll, have to constantly scroll up and down. It's not like flipping through the pages in a book, but the information is there. It's, it's, uh, you know, if you like reading on a computer screen or you can read it on your phone, you can uh, use a tablet or whatever. Uh, it's there and it's $5 and you get it instantly. As soon as you click the payment, you, you pay, I think it's, you pay credit card, PayPal, whatever. Uh, it's pretty simple and, uh, boom, you got it. Now, Probably in a week from now, definitely a week from the time you listen to this, that is going to be available as a physical hard copy book. And I'm going to sell it for, at this time, I'm going to start it out at $12 and I'm going to pay the shipping on it. So it's going to be a pretty sweet deal, I think. 
uh, and it's about 64 pages so uh, it's not a huge book but there's quite a bit of information packed in there and uh, so keep your eye out that'll be available to purchase right on the site and hopefully next fall that'll be available in uh, a number of trapping supply catalogs if all goes well we'll, we'll see how that goes but anyway uh, that's available uh, it's a great way to get some more information on the fur market uh, alright so moving on let's talk a little bit about my trap line so I'm still trapping beaver under the ice uh, I caught a few more since we last talked about under ice beaver snaring I uh, caught, caught some in the snares I actually also caught uh, one in a baited 330 body grip trap so I, I don't use those a lot I know I talked about that in the last podcast uh, especially doing like animal damage work but this was not a damage job and it was actually a situation where I had a set a snare set uh, by right by the beaver dam and the beavers were traveling through there and I actually had two misses in a row on the snares it was really sh- it was shallow water it was a difficult place it was really muddy and for some reason I'm not sure if it was just bad luck if it was something I I didn't set up quite right or if it just was a place that wasn't necessarily right for a snare um, I haven't really figured that out um, but what I decided to do in that case was just pull the snare after the second miss and I set a 330 in there I just took a uh, I call them popple sticks I re- realize that a lot of people probably don't know what that is so it's just a, a quaking aspen so um, uh, aspen stick uh, about the length of about oh, 10 inches long or so uh, 8 or 10 inches long and probably about 1 inch diameter and I just wired that to one of the jaws on the 330 opposite of the the dog and the trigger side so just on the opposite side very simple uh, run both sp- the eyes of both springs down one, one pole and stick that pole into the mud get the put a, a stick in to wedge the spring tight against that pole and put a couple of guide sticks there and a, a stabilizing stick and uh, I come back and I get the biggest beaver I caught in that entire lodge uh, out of that baited 330 so it worked pretty good I was pretty happy with it now if I got a miss I would have been just telling a different story but <laughs> anyway I was pretty happy so reset that um, now I'm, I'm on to my last lodge and I have a kind of a dilemma that a lot of trappers face uh, I didn't plan on being I didn't plan on beaver trapping this late in the season and honestly it's just one of those things where uh, when the fur shed burned down and everything happened there I, I was kind of part way th- a good portion of the way through my trapping season I figured and I figured I was over halfway done and I was going to wrap things up and everything and somehow when when that all happened instead of getting discouraged and and uh, cutting my season short I actually for some reason got the desire to trap even more <laughs> and so I've been trapping harder and longer than I ever thought I would and I ever planned to this season so the problem is I ran out of territory to trap <laughs> 
And uh, like I've said before, in northern Maine, we have more beavers than we know what to do with. They're everywhere. Um, and we've got a lot of access to land. That's a really easy thing here. The trouble is we have, not only do we have two feet of ice in most of these beaver ponds, we have two plus feet of snow, in some cases three feet of snow, covering that ice. And it is very difficult to find fresh sign in a fresh beaver lodge. <laughs> so uh, the beauty of a northern Maine winter is if you didn't scout ahead of time, you're going to have a little tough time. I do have some areas on my Martin trap line that I, there's at least two or three active lodges that I found just in passing as I was Martin trapping. Uh, but those are about an hour and a half, two hour drive away. So in, in the woods. And I can't really justify that at the moment. Um, but what I plan to do is I've caught, uh, uh, that this last lodge, I've, I've caught three beavers out of this one, three, I might've caught four. And it, anyway, I, I've, I have a few sets left there. I'm going to pull them, um, leave a few beavers there for, for the future, for next year and the year after. Um, they actually, I actually don't mind trapping that hard because they're, they've been so abundant for so long there that I had to, I went up and down that drainage for like two miles to maybe not two miles, but yeah, maybe two miles, um, to, to find an active lodge. I, there were, um, uh, must have been eight or ten abandoned lodges, abandoned dams, blown out beaver dams, and they've just destroyed the habitat there. People don't realize that if if you're not actually looking and measuring and uh, and paying attention to it, the the when beavers go in and become overly abundant and they're not trapped, they will actually um, deplete the f the food base um, in in the area. And they'll just leave. They'll either starve or they'll move on to the next spot. And these beavers, seems like they kept multiple families of beavers kept moving on, moving on, moving on to try to find food. And uh, they kind of decimated this area. So I don't mind knocking them back a little bit, the ones that are left there, uh, given given that uh, drainage a little bit of a chance to recover. So anyway, um, what I need to do is I, I probably will take a bit of a break. Got to... Uh, maybe it's hard to take a break, but got an ice fishing trip planned for a few days in the woods with a friend. Uh, probably do that, and hopefully, you know, February the sun gets a little stronger. We get some sunny days where it warms up, even if it's like in the 20s with sun, uh, which we don't seem to get a lot of. Uh, seems like if the sun's out, it's in single digits for the highs. But if we get sun in 20s. A lot of the those lodges are already a little bit warm with the beavers in them. You already got, you know, you may have a vent hole that's melted out. And uh, sun hits that a little bit and opens it up. You can see, uh, you can see a lodge a lot better um, through through all that snow. So I think what I'll do is, is give, it, give it a few days, maybe a week or two. And uh, hopefully some of those lodges become exposed and, and I'm going to get out on the the little Yamaha Bravo and go up and down some of these drainages that I, I know I've seen beaver activity in the past and, and just see if I can find a few more active lodges to trap. Now when springtime comes, that's going to be a game changer because there's uh, when that water ice melts and water opens up, 
again, I, our beaver trapping season goes to the end of April here. So we have a lot of time and, uh, that time of year, beavers are moving around. Uh, it's easy to see activity. There's caster mounds everywhere and they're easy to catch. Trouble is there's a lot of competition, even with low fur prices when they're that easy to catch. There's a few guys that run really long road lines and they'll just basically go, uh, run 150 to 200 miles uh, of road and just every single stream crossing they'll stop get out set a caster mount set usually one on each side of the road oftentimes and go to the next one and just keep going and so so there'll be those guys and I hate to hate to compete with them too much so uh, what I'll probably do though is is go to some of the areas that you have to walk a little ways and uh, I I've never had competition where I've had to walk yet, so <laughs> at least not uh, not in the last uh, ten or so years here. So anyway, we'll see we'll see how that goes, and um, I look forward to it. Uh, continuing on, a few other things. I bought a, a bench swagger, making snares now. Get some snare parts, and uh, I'll probably do a couple videos on that coming up. So moving on, I also wanted to talk about a really neat DVD I watched recently. For those of you that are familiar with Herb Lennon and Lennon's Lures, uh, this guy is an absolute legend. So Herb Lennon was a trapper in Michigan, uh, born in 1902. Uh, 1902, lived till 1979. And this guy was was an absolute uh, legendary trapper. He was he came up in a time uh, when uh, there, a lot of the greats in the trapping industry were born and made their money trapping fur, as well as damage control trapping. And he was absolutely the biggest trapper in Michigan in his time. He. Uh, he developed an incredible reputation. He was uh, in, actually became employed uh, f with the state of Michigan as a uh, trapping instructor. So he taught a lot of people how to trap. And later on, he started manufacturing his own line of trapping lures. And after he kind of built up this reputation as, as a really good trapper and accomplished trapper, he... Uh, he, he developed this line of lures that has been in continuous production and available to trappers uh, to this date. And Lennon's lures are, are now made. Herb's son, Asa Lennon, who is actually, he's still around. Uh, you see him, he pops up on Trapper Man every once in a while. And uh, he's an old, very much an old timer, but he's still around. He continued on the business after Herb passed it on. And he he made lure for a long time and he recently sold the business to John Chagnon of uh, PCS Outdoors uh, also from Michigan and and John became good friends with Asa and, and Asa's wife and he it was kind of a no-brainer for them when it was time to pass things on John was kind of uh, uh, an easy choice for Ace to sell the business to so it's really cool that those lures are still being produced. John takes a lot of pride in 
that line of lures and he has incredible amount of respect for Herb Lennon and and all the things that he taught so he very carefully makes these lure formulas and and does a great job and they're made the same way with the same ingredients that that Herb Lennon developed them with so with that being said this uh, John sent me this video he sells it on uh, LennonLures.com uh, you probably, I think PCS has it. You may be able to find it elsewhere, but probably not. It's a little hard to find. It's a classic video by Herb Lennon. And you talk about old school trappers and old trapping videos. This this has got to be the oldest. This is a silent film. <laughs> so this is this was filmed from 1937 to 1940. So you got any issues with, there's no sound quality because there's no sound. You get issues with production quality. There are absolutely, you can have no complaints about this because there was not a trapping video in in this time. It's just amazing to me that that this was even made. And you look at all the effort it took to make this. And, and beyond that, it's amazing that it's still around. And John was able to preserve this and put it on DVD. Um, and he, of course, I, like I said, he sells that on a site. So, uh, from 1937-1940, Herb filmed this. Um, it's kind of a training video for for trappers. And what he did, interestingly, because like I said, there's no sound. What he did was he, so he's got himself there, and he's making sets and stuff. And like it'll show a few seconds of footage of him putting in a set and doing something, and then it'll switch over to um, like I assume he's just basically cutting film uh, cutting film and in in slice splicing the film together um, it'll switch over to this video clip of basically a typed out note card that says what needs to be said <laughs> so it it's pretty amazing you'll see like him putting in a dirt hole and then then it'll switch over to uh, this note card that says trap it should be uh, bedded with and covered with three quarters inch of sand and so on, and and then it goes back to that and, and goes back and forth. It's pretty incredible. So he this was back in the day when there were even wolf trapping in Michigan. So he had a wolf trapping sets, um, coyote trapping and fox trapping. He had some really interesting dirt hole sets um, and, and just foothold sets in general. Of course, they're using mainly jump traps. Um, number three jumps seem to be pretty popular. He he seemed to use all drags and just the your standard grapple hook drags. And one of the m amazing things, and, and I think this was common with a lot of trappers back in that day, was the incredible attention to detail and um, he was just absolutely 100% took no chances and tried to make that set as natural as possible now there's a lot of debate about that nowadays um, and there's a lot of back and forth because uh, a few guys still subscribe to the idea that you you need to leave no scent so Herb, Herb is there he's got a mat down he places a mat down where he kneels uh, before he even starts making the set. He digs out dirt out of the trap bed and he sets that on his mat. 
and it and and he'll even take that dirt after he's done making the set and he's got extra dirt. He pulls that mat over and walks away twenty feet away and tosses that up in the air and scatters it. I mean, he is absolutely meticulous with this stuff. And um you've got guys nowadays that are just running and throwing in sets and walking away, not worrying about that, using bare hands, kneeling down on the ground. Um and both methods do work. Uh, guys say, well, that's kind of a joke. You don't need to um, be that careful. And, you know, look at this. I catch coyotes this way. Um, so so it's really hard to to try and piece apart, you know, what's important, what's, what's not important. Um, but obviously, at least back in that day, uh, it was it was considered extremely important. Now, I, I don't know whether, um, you could say that there are some animals, some, even like some coyotes, some individual coyotes, um, maybe, especially if there's a lot of trapping pressure around, uh, maybe some of those coyotes you're, you're not going to catch unless you have, you use those methods right to the T and you have no scent and you make things perfectly natural. Um, but maybe if you're in like today's era where there's not a lot of trapping pressure, the fur prices are low, there's uh, guys running around, there are coyotes everywhere, you could put up 50 to 100 coyotes in, just with catching uh, a bunch of dispersing juveniles uh, or catch, you know, catch relatively young, inexperienced coyotes um, or just happening to catch the ones that aren't that smart and the ones that are smart, just move on. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think there, obviously, um, you have to have a lot of respect for what was being taught back then in the methods. But at the same time, we obviously have made some level of progress in trapping, in techniques, in methods, in gear and equipment over the years. So take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I wouldn't go out and try to remake Herb's set to the T. Um, number one for the historical value this is unbelievable this is just this is really really special it's something that's you to me is so unique um that this was preserved and it shows us you know that era of trapping what it was all about um and there are some concepts there that absolutely still help us as trappers today so i I think it's it's really neat um the he does so he does that basic coyote wolf fox dirt hole sets summertime he has this old indian set that he shows how to make that's really neat um i'll I'll leave it to the video to explain that in more detail um but he also does snow trapping so that's pretty cool for guys that are in northern climates that get a lot of snow he's trapping with foothold traps through the snow and it was very very cool to watch he I've never seen anything like it in my life. And, of course, people don't do a lot of snow trapping nowadays anyway. Um, And some of it, like, I remember when I was learning to trap, I was watching Tom Miranda's fur fishing game video, one of them, where he did some coyote fox trapping in the snow. And his deal was, well, you dig through all the snow until you get down to the dirt and you take an axe, big axe, and you start chopping the dirt, frozen dirt, and you chop out a trap bed. You dirt hole trap just and a lot of people do that um you you 
trapping the snow just like your dirt hole trapping in in the fall um, just as if it was bare ground just a heck of a lot more work and you make a big mess um, purposely to uh, attract an animal visually that show them that that you know that place was tore up probably by another coyote or fox so there's that method but there's also a method I'd always read about um, the old-time trappers of you know setting these traps in the snow on top of the snow and animal trails um, some cubby sets some trail sets or scent post sets where <clears throat> they're they're setting these traps just in the snow um, underneath a layer of snow and that's the way Herb was setting these these sets it was he has a piece of equipment there it's it's like half I don't know what it is or where it comes from it's amazing to look at um, someone will probably pipe up and tell me what it is maybe I'm just being stupid but it was it was like half canoe paddle and half like shovel it's like this it's the shape of like the end of a like a kayak paddle but it's dish shaped so it's kind of cupped and he would take that thing and he had like a add on a long pole and like in one place he didn't he didn't want to he was so worried that he was going to make tracks in the snow that they were going to see that he had this long pole and he set the trap in wax paper on top of that paddle and he extended that all the way over to the trail and he had carved out a little bit of a a, a hollow spot underneath the trail in in the snow and he slid the trap with that paddle into their area and then he took the paddle and he just like brushed a bunch of snow on top and covered everything up it was it was so articulate for for that era i i'm just i'm i was incredibly impressed by it so uh anyway there there were some cool snow trapping techniques there and uh and a very meticulous trapper for sure and he did some water trapping uh the water trapping video portion of the video was only like oh, it must have been like 15 minutes long um, but he showed he showed an open water beaver set and under ice beaver set uh, these are both using footholds in shallow water um, and he showed uh, some the muskrat float set using a piece of wood and he showed a, uh, a couple of different mink and rat sets using logs and and that sort of thing and, and of course this was before conibears even this was before body grip traps so this was all foothold sets and you had to be pretty uh, pretty creative with how to make these sets and make them work so anyway that's just a little um, a review of the classic video by Herb Lennon again you can buy this at lennonlures.com or uh, at pcsoutdoors.com and I hope you'll pick that up and enjoy it. That's it's a pretty neat piece of history. So anyway, I had a few other things to get into, and we, we will tackle them in the next episode, hopefully. Um, Want to talk eventually? I, I listened to a really neat interview uh, with Fuller Lagerman from back in the '80s uh, on trapping in Montana and, and becoming a lure maker. That was really neat. Want to talk a little bit about taxes, tax preparation for trappers. Um, a trapper starter kits, uh, review of trap drags thing that I did on the website a couple days ago, and then eventually I don't know which episode it's going to be in. We're going to get into lure making, and that's going to be a really difficult 
topic for me to cover um, because uh, I, I want to do it justice. I also I want to include my personal opinions, and I also don't want to upset anybody in the lure business. So <laughs> anyway, that uh, I'm I'm sure I'll, I'll figure a way out to do that and uh, let you guys know a little bit about lure making and I, I do want to cover a lot of the resources that are available for people wanting to make lures or just people wanting to understand a little bit more about the lure making process and what's in that trapping lure that that you purchase so with that uh, thank you for tuning in it's a little bit longer episode uh, if you stuck around this long I appreciate it and uh, have a great uh, have a great time have a great day and uh, get out there and uh, go do some trapping thanks <laughs>